Have you ever been telling a story and realized in the middle of it that you were the villain? Hello, and welcome back to We Can't Print This. Oh, hi, friends. Hi. Uh, what are we? We're a podcast telling you the story you don't know behind the story you do know. And today, more than ever, we're doing that. Ba, ba, ba. More of that in a moment. For the record, I'm still Fiona McCann. <gasps> and for the record, my name is Eden Dawn. And please don't let me introduce myself and then you just call me Dawn. It annoys me. <laughs> that's true. And nor nor should you do that in an email. But that's a whole It's primarily the email that annoys me. Um, so if you are familiar with this podcast, thank you for listening to our last two seasons. And thank you for bearing with us over this short break. More of that and on too. But you'll know that each episode, we interview a writer of some kind about the stories behind their stories. We did, however, after two seasons last year, take a little break because we were wrecked. We were wrecked. We did 22 episodes, I believe, of We Can't Print This. Then we did five episodes of Slaying a Dragathon. I had a new book come out. You had a weekly column. There was the whole breaking world record thing. We had a year. It was we, a lot. And we needed to sleep for a little bit because we are two middle-aged women. And we are tired. We were. I was tired. I was tired. I was tired too. But we're not tired anymore. No. Well, sometimes I'm still tired. But <laughs> now people look at us and they're like, look how full of verve they are. Full of verve. And fun. that's what people say all the time. But we took a little break and we decided and we had a little think about this podcast, which we love. And we're back with season three. But I want to let all of you listeners know that it's going to look a little different. A little bit different there. It will be very familiar. We're just on a much more sustainable schedule. That's right, schedule schedule we're <laughs> posting at a slower rate so that we can bring you the quality that we want and we can stay alive but we do have many wonderful authors and writers of all kinds coming to you for season three so please stay tuned watch the feed take a deep dive into our amazing back catalog if you miss us too much and just keep listening and sign up for our newsletter. It comes out once a month. We give you pop culture picks. It's fun. And then you'll always know when a new episode is coming out. And today we are bringing you, in very exciting news, our first four-way interview. Yeah, it's a four-way. It's a four-way. How many of you out there have ever done a four-way? Cross it off my bucket list. So in studio, we have Courtney Hameister, who is an author, writing instructor, and performer whose work can be found in Bustle, McSweeney's, and the New York Times, which we will get to. Her first book, Okay, Fine, Whatever, the year I went from being afraid of everything to only being afraid of most things, was long listed for the Thurber Prize for American Humor in 2019. And it's a really good book. And it's a delight. And we also have... Jason Rouse. Jason is an actor, writer, director, and teacher who's appeared in feature films, television, and once as a one-armed file clerk on stage in Las Vegas. And though Jason has never been listed for the Thurber Prize for American Humor, I can tell you from having seen him perform storytelling many times, he is quite funny. Yeah, take note, Thurber. Take it. Fiona, why do we have two guests today instead of one? Why, what an excellent question, Eden Dawn. It's almost as if you ask questions for a living. I know. 
God. Um, yes. Well, this is the reason. On December 1st of last year, Courtney's essay, which is entitled, Were We the Fat Couple?, was published in the New York Times Modern Love column. And the essay is a beautiful piece. It's going to really, I think if you haven't read it, go ahead and do so at once. It's gorgeous in so many ways and very moving. But the subject, the protagonist, the hero of it all is none other than Jason Rouse. Yeah, I loved it. I, you know, know Courtney and Jason a little bit, but I remember when it went, the story went live on December 1st, it went viral pretty quickly. Like I was seeing it in my feed in all these different places and getting passed around social. And I have read so many modern love essays over the years and I always loved them. Uh, but it was the first time that I knew both parties involved and reading it just felt so emotional and so lovely and sad and all of these things. And I immediately wanted more, you know, there's, there's a word limit to all things in print and I wanted more. So I'm so happy we have them in the studio and to see these now two dear friends be able to talk about their past relationship, mistakes they've made, and... And also a little bit about how this column came about. Mm -hmm. the, so there's lots in there about process, too, and how how things are pitched and how things come about and also what it feels like to be the hero of your own story and also what it feels like to be the villain. Yeah, and I do think it was wonderful for us to have Courtney on here because I so admire writers that are willing to be that level of vulnerable. You know, as she says, she considers herself the villain of the story, which I think is a little bit harsh, but also the vulnerability of talking about the internalized sizeism that we face as women that is just so ingrained in us of, of how much of our value and worth is tied to what size of clothing we wear. And it's weird that it's this universal experience that particularly women have and something often we don't talk about. And so for her to be able to write that so fearlessly, I was really blown away. Yeah, kudos to Courtney and kudos to Jason too. I mean, if you haven't read it already, you might pause this podcast, Google it, look it up, New York Times, Modern Love, Courtney Hammeister. And the title of the essay is, Were We the Fat Couple? Question mark. And I think that you're in for an amazing read. And then I suggest that you get your hanky or your tissues and get ready to hear more about it. All right, let's do it. Welcome, Courtney and Jason. This is a special edition because we have the writer and we have the subject of the piece in one room. And we've never had a foursome. Yeah, this is a big deal. Ooh. It's good to be adventurous. Yeah. You know? We'll take it slow. We'll take it slow. It's 2024, <laughs> so we're at chasing, chasing New Dreams. <laughs> and we're here today to talk about a piece that, Courtney, you published in the New York Times in the Modern Love, Much Beloved, Modern Loved column. <laughs> much <laughs> beloved, I have to say it. Beloved, my loved. <laughs> beloved, my loved, Modern Love column. In which you feature Jason. And exactly. Featuring Jason Rouse. <laughs> yeah. Featuring Jason Rouse, who gets the best line possibly in the history of the modern love column. I believe in so. In my opinion. And we're going to get to that. And mm -hmm. we're going to get to it. Please tell us first, how did you pitch this story? Well, so modern love 
isn't a traditional pitching process. Uh-huh. It's essentially just like you attach your piece. I guess it's traditional in that you have to have the cover email or whatever. But normally in a pitch process, right, you're pitching the idea of it and then they buy the idea and then you write it. And with Modern Love, you submit the written piece and apparently last year, 12,000 people submitted <gasps> to Modern Love, which is, well, which is why <laughs> what they tell you is, that they will get to you. They will give you a yes or a no always. They don't just ignore wow. people. So they will give you a yes or a no, and it will come within four months. I submitted in September of 2022, and in November of 2023, I received an email from Dan Jones, the editor, saying, hey, okay. I really love your piece. I'd love to talk about it. Sorry it's taken me a little while 14 to 14 months later. So 14 months later, I'd completely given up. Um, and you're also not supposed to check in. Like, oh, yeah. they tell you not to check in, which I did not listen to. I checked in maybe six months after the fact, didn't hear back. So I'd given up. And for people who are interested in getting into Modern Love, there is a special little hint in that. So he has a second editor, and she goes through all of the emails. Dan also loves to just scroll through and read subject lines. And if a subject line grabs him, he thinks... That's a good writer. So the key is make your subject line interesting. That's good advice. Right. And then then the idea is to really, it's not just about writing a good piece. It's about writing a good letter that if they never read the piece, there's writing in your email that, that is interesting to them. Mm. So, God, I'm already you know, sweating. I mean, I know. so I just started it off. I started my email off where I said, uh, dear Dan, and I think I'm getting her name wrong. It's either Mia or Maya. I think it might be Mia. Dear Dan and Mia, have you ever <laughs> have you ever been telling a story and realized in the middle of it that you were the villain? That was the first sentence of oh, my email. Good. Damn, she's good. And I was, <laughs> but I also said like I didn't need to get to the middle of the story to know I was the villain. Yeah, we see what uh, you did there. That's <laughs> right. Um, so. Did you first? You already skipped past your subject line. What was your subject subject line? Um, I think that the original title of my piece was St. Jason the Forgiving. And, uh, wow. <laughs> I think, I think Jason that looks very been. chuffed by that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I think many it children been. will be named after you. I know. I'm remarkable. Head. I'm remarkable. Uh, I have to say a strong subject heading is also how you get me to read an email. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Fair. We need to all put more effort into them collectively. Yeah, I think so, for mm-hmm. sure. I can't believe 14 months. Uh, that is an interesting, and also what a lovely thing to give people hope who feel like they may never hear back on anything. Because once you heard, it went quite quickly because it came out in December. I was shocked at the speed with which it happened. Like, Dan, we had a conversation. He interviewed me for about 30 minutes, just asking me all these questions about the piece and um, and different lines and um and he said, well, I'll get you an edit tomorrow. He does the first edit. <gasps> and right? That's Which like was, being I was like, by Beyonce what? or something. <laughs> I know. And he, and he did. He sent me an edit the next day. So had you already told Jason, hey, I've written this piece about you and I'm sending it to the New York Times and everyone might possibly see it. Did you, had you had that conversation previous to pitching it? Um, yeah. And so I guess, I mean, I think that it, that, that listeners probably need to know that. So the piece was about, Jason and I having a relationship and me being a giant dick. Um, but so it was essentially like it opens 
Um, I think that I, I say like the opening line is something like dating Jason was such a relief. And I talked about how the first person that I ever was in love with at one point we were sitting in a car and my thighs were kind of splayed as happens when you're sitting. And this boyfriend turned to me and he poked the fat on the top of my thigh and then kind of looked up at me and grinned and kind of squinted like, and the look on his face was like, you're going to take care of that, right? Wait, and you think you're the villain of the piece? No. Sorry. Like, I'm sorry, wait. Fuck that guy. <laughs> right. That's, I remember reading, I'm just being like, mm, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. We've all dated one. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> right. So I said, Jason would never do that, largely because he's not a garbage person and he's empathetic, but mostly because he was fat like me. The story is about us being two really big people um, who were dating and my fat shame, my internalized fat shame, making it impossible for me to feel okay with us being together and presenting in social situations. And I struggled with it so much that I finally broke up with him over it. So that's the story. But in the story is also a very personal story about Jason and his health and him essentially dying, having a heart attack. Do you want to tell that story? Because I think it's really powerful. We um, un- do know the ending, and that's that you're still with us. I, yes. so Spoilers. That is good. Spoiler alert. I'm, I'm alive. This isn't a ghost. I had a heart attack. I didn't know what was happening at first. I was alone in my apartment. I thought I was sick. Uh, I would find out later that I had been having an event for several days. As it happens... I would end up having three stents put in. So things were really constricting. I was in a play, and I had the flu, what I thought was the flu opening weekend, and I just had a sort of residual pain in my arm for the entire run of the show, and we closed the show. Jason, I, you did the whole show while you I were did, having I, an event. Well, um, The show yeah, must go on, Fiona. No, it wasn't Don't bad. It wasn't bad. It was just uh, it was it was the end stage just before the the, the it was fully blocked. And so we closed the show. I went to dinner with my family, and I just felt rotten, really exhausted. And I went home, and I blacked out. I thought I blacked out, and I kind of came to, and it was dark in my my place. And I had my glasses on, and my chest hurt so – I didn't know if I was dreaming or not. And I sat up, and I was very confused, and I woke up again, and I was on the floor in my living room, and I still had my glasses – I didn't know where my phone was, and I crawled into the bedroom and sort of felt around, woke up again, and called my one of my dear friends, happened to be my neighbor, and I called him, and I, I told him that I thought I was dying. And um, I said, would you take me to the hospital? And he said, sure. And I crawled out of my place, and I waited for him in the driveway. And he took me to the hospital, and I was dead for 77 seconds. And they they did what they did, and now I'm alive. But I didn't call 911. Very clearly, I didn't want the hassle, and I didn't want them to have to come up and get me and do all it's of a that. Very, it was a very, very narrow staircase up to his it was. It was, just a, it was just a weird... It was, it a, was a outside. Stri- it was outside. You had to come through. It was just going to be... I just thought it was going to be... I very clearly thought this in the middle of the worst pain I've ever felt, and I knew what was happening 
at that point I knew. And, but I was also very relaxed. And when I got in the car, I was as calm and I wasn't scared anymore. And I asked my dear Ian, I asked him to call my dad and to tell him that I was so sorry. And I just sort of drifted off. It was not bad there at the end. It didn't hurt. Everything was fine. Then they wake you up. You're, you're brought back in the hospital and that was its own thing. So, th- yeah. Right. And then, uh, yeah. So that was, uh, I would come later to find that that's, that wasn't healthy thinking on my part. Um, uh, I would be told. But right. do not call an ambulance because you are you you are afraid of I people seeing you. Correct. I was very seeing people struggle yeah. to get you. I hate. Down. Yeah, I hated the idea that I was having a heart attack, and really, if I died, then I wouldn't be present for everything else. So it would be just sort of, I'd be out of the picture. Like I couldn't be. I wouldn't feel uh, ashamed. This reminds me, the way we treat ourselves versus how we treat our friends is a constant ridiculous thing when you look at it. Because if your friend was telling you that, you would be so, what the, What are you talking about? How can yeah. I help you? What yeah. do we do? Sure. And the way we treat ourselves, mm-hmm. like never is anybody harder on anyone than they are on themselves. Mm-hmm. And I wish as all of us collectively as humans, we're able to treat our internal mm-hmm. self a little bit more like how we are kind mm-hmm. to our friends. Mm-hmm. Instead, I treat myself like I'm my own best enemy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think all of us do that. Mm-hmm. I'm just so glad you're here, Jason. Mm-hmm. I am too. Thanks, the funniest person. That's a terrifying person. incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, how do you... But, uh, but, but so just to, to close that sort of loop, I mean, the question that you asked me was, did I check with Jason before I sent it to the New York Times. And I mean, the, the, so the story centered around me doing that, living for a few years, then going to a storytelling show and Jason tells this story. And I'm sitting in the audience and as, I, as I'm doing now, when I heard him tell it, I was, I was inconsolable. <laughs> I was just devastated to hear that story because this person that I love, because Jason and I had continued to be friends, because he's a saint and he forgave me. This person that I love had died of shame and I had added to that shame with what I had done to him. So that's a huge part of my story. It's most of my story. Mm-hmm. And so I was taking the class and I was I was thinking about the story that I would write and I was already thinking about this story. And I think that I talked to Jason while I was in the class and told him that I was writing it. It was a class on how to get into modern love. And so oh. I was like, hey, it's it's how to get into modern love. Are you okay if I write this story? And I write, you know, and, and he said, okay. And That's then I- he was thinking there's 12,000 submissions. It's fine. Or <laughs> wait, I, actually, no, I think I had written it and I handed it to you. Remember well, we had we a did. meeting. I, you you told I, me about it. You, yes, the first part is still true. You were like, hey, I'm thinking about this. And then later you wrote it. Mm-hmm. You had me over- and we had lunch, and you said, I wrote it. And I said, wrote what? Because my memory, yeah. Um, and, I, and I read it, and you were very nervous that I would say, you can say no. And it was beautiful. But it was so much, I think that I felt safe including his story in my story because I had gone to a, 
a storytelling event where he was telling it in yeah. public. So I felt like I felt like I had a little permission there, but it's also a storytelling event in Portland, Oregon is very different from the New York Times. Mm-hmm. And so I, f- I felt Jason knew what was going on at every yeah. stop. I told yeah. him when I submitted it and then and then when I heard from Dan, we were in conversation that whole time and I just kept checking in because I was like, Jason, it sounds like it might go in. And then Jason, it sounds like it might go in December 1st or 8th. Jason, it's going in December 1st. And I just kept I, saying, yeah. I will stop this at any point if yeah, it's starting to Which was funny because I was like, why? I, I feel quite removed from that. So it was just a story now on paper for me. And it was so well rendered. And Courtney's my favorite writer, so I'm not going to stand in the way of anything like that. And it was great. And so, yeah, I, I did get a little annoyed at the constant, like, at, at any time, we can tell them no. <laughs> and you can call them, and they're going to talk to you, and you can say. And I'm like, ugh. Honestly, that first round of edits, she was like, they cut this, this, and this. And I said, can you tell them to put it back in? She goes, I don't know. I said, tell them you want these back in. That's how you do that. And they did. I mean, and that was important to... Did yeah. you have to play the Jason card for that, though? Did you say Jason wants Jason stuff? wants it back in? Mm-hmm. His no, heart's feeling was, weak. Can you put it back <laughs> yeah. in? It was a really interesting process because the majority of the stuff that Dan cut, there was a very interesting thing that he cut, and I felt like it was so important. I essentially had said at the beginning one of the reasons that it was such a relief to be with Jason or one of the results, I guess, of it being such a relief was that we would have chili cheese fries and, you know, watch movies all night. And I wouldn't think about what my double chins looked like, you know, from his, from his vantage point or whatever. I made a kind of a list. And one of the things on the list was, and when I was the small spoon, I wouldn't give his hand a nudge if it rested on my belly. Right. I wouldn't move it away. And Dan to cut that. That's one of my favorite details. Yeah. Thank you. And it gets, it- if you've ever had somebody put yes. your hand on the belt, you know that, that instinctive. Right. You nudge the hand away from mm-hmm. the problematic, what you perceive yeah. as problematic yeah. areas. And when I spoke to Dan, he said, oh, I just, I didn't understand that line. What does that mean? Dan has never s- been a woman <laughs> in America. <laughs> I said, well, yeah. And, and so all I did was I changed the wording to say, nudge his hand to a less problematic area. And then Dan understood what that line meant. Got it. So, and he also cut the line where I said that Jason may have been a saint for forgiving me for breaking up with him like a dick. And that was hugely important to me because it was the through line to the end where essentially Jason is a resurrected Jesus who who forgave me <laughs> my sins and helped wow, me you Jason. know, be a better person. I know. You're the last straight <laughs> middle-aged man in America that actually has some good PR going for them. <laughs> Well done. If you stand back, I'll bring back the sun. (laughs) Standing way back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Uh, that's so, it's so interesting because I did wonder, and both myself and Eden have both been played editor at some point as well and been edited a lot. And it's always interesting to find out what an editor cuts and what they, the lens that they bring to a piece. And sometimes it's super helpful. And sometimes it's like, oh, I just didn't get that. Exactly. I was going to bring up that detail about the spooning position because it really rang so true for me. And so I'm really glad you fought for that. Thighs, or you fought for that, Jason. The poking of the thighs, the <laughs> yeah. things that they, I read it and I was just like, check, 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 yeah. check. It just, you just ask 
He was like, oh, sure, this is why. And it was great. You yeah. just need a little We Jason, like, bring back my sainthood, please. Your best writing <laughs> yeah. is just ask. Just ask. I mean, what are you going to do? As well. The one thing that I was really bummed to lose was toward the end, as I'm sort of summarizing things, I say, in the original piece, I said, I think everyone, aside from Dolly Parton and sociopaths, walk around with some degree of self-loathing. And he, when we had the conversation, he was like, why Dolly Parton? And I was like, because she's perfect, and so there's no reason she would have self-loathing. Um, and Legit. he just didn't understand it. So I gave him all these options, and we ended up going with Peloton instructors. But the, the, And that's no. a joke, yeah. but Peloton instructors have a ton of self-loathing. Yeah. Or they probably, I mean, that's not true. Some Peloton instructors probably have a lot of self-loathing, and they deal with it by being Peloton instructors. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's so interesting. I thought you were going to say, and he said, why Dolly Parton? I know her personally, and she has loads of self-loathing. Because in my head, all of these people are somehow all connected on a higher sphere. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, these perfect people. So one of the things that I say, and I just actually taught a class this past weekend, and I and I mentioned part of being a good writer is having an ear for good dialogue. And and I said, as a writer, you need to be comfortable with the best line in your piece coming out of someone else's <gasps> mouth, right? And the best line in the piece came from Jason. We were still dating. I told him we needed to talk, and he showed up at my apartment, and he he wouldn't sit down with me. <laughs> he, he, I was sitting on my couch, and he was just standing in his coat holding, holding his keys. I've been fired before. <laughs> I was, was just like, going to say, with it. out with it. We've all been broken up. Yeah. Like, we know. Yeah. You don't want to get comfy yeah. because then there's yeah. the weird, like, where did I put my now keys? Now I've got to stand up. I'm not taking my, yeah. yeah. Do I finish my Diet Coke? Like, what am I doing here? Right. Yeah. I'm not going to give you the. No refreshments offered that <laughs> afternoon. Oh, jeez. Right. I didn't offer him any water or coffee. So I just essentially said, I can't, I just can't do this. And I have so much shame about my body. And sometimes when I'm with you in public, it feels like I'm doubling it. And he just gave it a beat because he's a really good actor. (laughs) And he said, I would never be anything but proud to walk into a room with you. I think that what's amazing about that line is that it wasn't fuck you. But it a bit it was buzz. so perfectly <laughs> no, but that's the thing. It was so perfectly like beautiful. And it, at the same time that it was saying fuck you, it was also saying, I love you and you're worthy. <laughs> you know, like it was an exceptionally good line, you know. It was I, your best work, Jason. I do feel yeah. like there are words sometimes where I'm like, oh, that's what they mean when they say bittersweet. Like it's a line that feels so mm-hmm. sweet, but your heart hurts at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's like saying goodbye to somebody you really want to be around or seeing mm-hmm. a photo of somebody that's passed where you're like, I feel so happy and so hurt all yeah. at yeah. once and overwhelmed. And that that was that line that made me feel that like, oh, I feel a lot of feelings at at once. Yeah. Well, and I not to I don't don't want to like take a step back from this sort of emotional content here, but also what I loved about your piece is how it was structured to lead to that line and then lead beyond it. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. If that's not too in the writer's weeds where we all like bear our hearts, but did you present this piece with that existing structure? Because I think it's such mm-hmm. a well constructed piece. Thank you. Um, and I always assume the editor did those things. Dan changed very little about that piece. 
She just insulted That's you. Did Courtney. you hear that? Fiona was like, <laughs> I kind of assumed. And that clearly wasn't you, Courtney. I mean, clearly. No, but I mean, that's one of the jobs sometimes is to say you have all the things and I'm going to help you move the pieces around. Yes, it's true. And yeah. I thought that was so perfectly constructed. I think that what Dan what Dan and any editor helps me with is that is brevity that I can just go on a, a bit too much. And I think that Dan found really wonderful places to, to just cut bits that did not in any way need to be there. So the structure was all pretty much exactly the same, but there were just pieces, you know, I gave examples of places where people can be judgy about weight, like the grocery store. And then I had this whole piece about the nightmare of walking onto an airplane with, as a fat person. Um, and it didn't need that. It was right. It, that's just, that's not important to the piece. And Dan was able to just have this laser focus on things and the big thing that he did that I was kind of shocked at is that he changed he just kind of rewrote the the last lines and I was like that was one thing where I was like you know last lines are just as a writer it's such a hugely important part mm-hmm. of the piece it's and everything in a way yeah but um did but you did I, you rewrite them back then I it's interesting I think he changed it and then I essentially wrote something that was a, a hybrid of his line and my line. The third way, as we call it. There's your way, their way, and then you come together for the third way. Right. Yeah. Which is often lovely. The third way yeah. is a very good place to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then it came out, and I know you were inundated partly by me with compliments <laughs> about that piece, but also by a lot of other people. Jason, did the same happen to you? Were people like, oh, I read you in the New York Times? No. I mean, some... It was a different situation. It was a people different... People were contacting you for a different reason, which I think you should I, talk and about. And I... Well, I don't... Yeah. It wasn't... She didn't use my last name. So unless you knew us, I don't think you would know, but certain friends of ours, the people who knew that was coming, you know, that was great. Um, it was nice to see uh, the reaction that Courtney was getting and how positive it was and... Well, you know, how could it not? But I got a couple notes. Did you know that that was happening? And are you sure you want that out there? And I was like, well, why wouldn't I? Like, it's not a secret and I'm not ashamed of it. And for almost two years, she was telling me about where it was in the process. And I mean, I had forgot, honestly forgot last fall when she said, the New York Times is going to do it. And I said, what are they going to do? She's like, the piece. And I said, what, which one? Great job, which one? The one about you. I'm like, ooh, what? And she's like, Jason. I'm like, she's what? She's like, do I have to spoon feed And then I'm like, oh, oh, hey, good for good for us. We got to get you some ginkgo biloba, my Yeah, friend. but it was, it was great. Um, so um, I had, a, I had a, a very close friend of mine who didn't contact me after it was published, but contacted him to check in to make sure he was okay. You know, yeah. I don't, I think I understand oh. that because it is a person, what, regardless of the content of the story, that it was a, a very personal thing about your relationship. If you mm-hmm. had not known it was coming, if you and Courtney were not sure. friends, if you hadn't, oh, sure. then I could see very Oof. much feeling sure. like, whoa, is that, is, yeah. that is like, was our personal thing and, and personal things about my feelings yeah. and interactions, feeling I feel like if that piece was published and it was my name and nobody had told me, given me a heads up and done oh, it, yeah. I would oh, yeah. feel a little bit like, hey, that was my tender spot and yeah. you didn't you didn't tell yeah. me that but, everyone was going to see my tender spot. 
Right. I feel like anyone who knows me. Exactly. If they assumed that I would do that without yes. checking in with Jason, they then do they don't know me. me. I, yeah. Yes, that and, part I can and understand, And so that was, that was great. But, I mean, it was also a really kind of a cool morning. I woke up and Jessica said, you're in the New York Times. <laughs> and I said, what? And to be fair, she's in it too because she's name checked in it. And I said, so are you. And we laid in bed and we looked at it. And um, like I was, we talked about Courtney. I was like, I'm so proud is not, I don't know the word. Like I was like, it's about time. And when's the next five coming? You know what I mean? And the the art they got for it was. <gasps> it was so that, perfect. That, yeah, that, that really, I was pretty good through all of it because I'd read it so long ago and I was like, I had no problems with it. And it was, it's very flattering and it's, I don't love necessarily attention like that. I feel differently about myself now than then. So there's an abstraction there, but looking at it really kind of, it was really kind of a perfect moment. And um, yeah, the the illustration for the, for the piece was this image of a woman standing with a huge talk bubble sort of coming out of her mouth and the talk bubble bubble is so huge that it has knocked over this man and he's under the bubble. Yeah. Right? Brilliant. It's like, absolutely it was how did beautiful they know? and how brilliant. Did they know? How did they know? But I, um, but I think that yeah. there's a big question that people ask, right? When they're right when they're in memoir classes, how do you write about other people? You know? Mm-hmm. And I think that in this case, <laughs> you know, when you write a piece that literally the first title of it is about this person being a saint um, it's, it's a little bit easier, but also I was revealing a deeply, deeply personal, vulnerable story about him, which is why I kept checking in with him. Normally other people are this pretty small part of a story. Yeah. And what I always tell people is just never, ever write from anger for publication because yeah. you will absolutely regret it. I agree. So that your story belongs to you, your version of your story belongs to you. You know, as Anne Lamott said, you know, if people want you to write nicely about them, they should have been kinder to you or something like that. <laughs> they should have not been a dick to you. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you have to be aware. It's just like any other situation where you talk about someone. You can do it, but you just have to know that there are going to be consequences if you paint them in a bad light. And yeah, wow. I mean, in your case, it was a very good light, but... Mm-hmm. As you say, you also had to reveal something very vulnerable, not just about Jason, but about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I know that's different because that's your decision and you have ownership over that, but that's still quite a leap for a lot of people to be that real in a piece. <laughs> How has the reaction been for you? I got incredibly sweet notes from strangers, from fat strangers, you know, mm-hmm. people who were fat like me. And just the fact that what was interesting was was people empathized with both of us, um, which I really felt like before it was published, I thought they're not going to empathize with me. But they, I think that there were people who, who were able to kind of see it from both sides. And I did have that one guy who called me pathetic. One guy, yeah. Uh, I will say that- There's always in, that one guy. In the, the weeks and days leading up to it, Courtney, when we would say like, you know, when it comes out and like, well, she was just prepared for to be- hated and reviled and and i'm like that's not gonna happen and i would say you should read it again (laughs) just why don't you read your own thing you're not the bad guy you're really not and there was once i ventured into um some comments on a thing and that was 
exhilarating, uh, exhilarating to go down. And, um, you know, Courtney mentions that Courtney officiated my wedding. And, uh, and this woman sort of made a comment about how if it was my wedding, I would have decked her. Jessica, just, I read this to her and she's like, um, and she actually went on and said, Hey, I'm, I was the bride. And uh, I love you, uh, it Jessica. was it was it was awesome and didn't put this person down, didn't call him a name, it was like everything was great. We're adults, it was fantastic and loving, and there's no one else we would have could have dreamt to have performed this for us. And the person, the original poster, to their credit, like took it down. Cool, I get it. You know, context is very important. And the response was I think overwhelmingly positive. It's yeah. it's one of the, the best things. You call yourself a villain, but you're a very important thing in the context of this story, if you want to use the term villain. You're a self-aware villain. You're a reformed sure. villain. And society loves nothing more Correct. than somebody. Because true. we've all been a villain in different ways in our yeah, lives, you, whether we've meant to or not. Yeah. And what we don't like is the unaware villain or the villain without empathy who doesn't care. Yeah. What we love is when people go, oh, shit. I messed up and I didn't know I was messing up. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. now I can look back and see all the reasons I did and have some empathy for myself and look at that and tell other people. So maybe other people aren't the villain. That's a bit that I feel like we collectively as humans go, Oh yeah, we like that because we've all done it. Sure. We all hurt people we love. I mean, that's what we do. Absolutely. And and so much of it has to do with our, I call it emotional shrapnel. Like we have our own pain and frustration and we believe that it doesn't hurt anyone else. But there's emotional shrapnel from our own self-hatred, right? Mm -hmm. As we're, we hurt other people because of that. And I think what it's, what's interesting about this piece is, I mean, I knew when I broke up with him that I was being a terrible person, like that I was giving into my worst thoughts and 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 all of that I just didn't realize how bad it was I think at the time the thing is I still have massive internalized fat shame mm -hmm. I'm bigger than I I have ever been in my life and it's devastating and difficult for me like I haven't even I have read I would say 15 books on fat phobia and body positivity and I understand the racist beginnings of fat phobia and I understand how detrimental diet culture has been to millions of lives. I understand all of it, and I still can't let it go. I still have all this fat shame, you know? Which is um, also an incredibly human experience. I can sure. say aging is a gift and Google neck lifts in the same day, and exactly. I have. That's and exactly I will true. again. But I, yeah, my, I, we used to, Jason, so Jason and I worked for Livewire Radio together, and um, and I, I tell this story to my classes as well. So I used to write an essay every week for Livewire. Mm -hmm. I wrote like 250 of them. And I would send them to one of our producers. And she read it one week. And she, she sent me this email back that said, God, you know, I just, I like you so much more in your essays than in person. <gasps> nice. Writing is my pathway to that version of myself. I like that. You're writing to your best self. Yeah. That's really interesting. That's brilliant. It's in me. And that's the thing. It's not that it's not in me. It's just but also it's when you are at your core in a way. Ideally, sure. <laughs> also, before we stray. Except for Jason, I, who's a saint. Sorry. That, no, that's <laughs> on topic. Jason, I don't want to tell you how to live your life. But. Go ahead. The best opening to any sentence. Yeah. If someone in a modern love essay called me a saint. Uh -huh. 
I would probably put that on a shirt to show my spouse at any time. Uh-huh. <laughs> at any time, as Sean uh-huh. maybe questioned any of my behavior, I would just, I mean, now you better believe that the Guinness yeah. World Record comes up a sure. lot in our sure. home when he's yeah. like, this is messy. Yeah. I'm like, who has a Guinness World Record for produce? I just feel like right. I would be insufferable. Ask me what t-shirt she's wearing to bed this week. <laughs> Um, Jason, I, yeah, I married you, a modern yeah. day saint. Well, I, it comes up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. When she's like, you didn't put the toilet seat down. And I'm like, I'm a saint. I forgive you. I just say I forgive you a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. Honey. And I'm like, I forgive you. <laughs> I didn't even, and you, and you never will. And you never will. And you never but will. I forgive you anyway. Yeah. Let oh, me I touch your that. face. And she's like, no. <laughs> No, just please don't walk around with ash on your hands. No. I have to. Oh, it's part of the deal. It's, it's part, part of the deal. deal. It's part of the deal. I am just paying so much attention to everything Jason's saying so that I can write it down. And because I'm like, you did utter the best line in modern love history, in my opinion. <laughs> and so, if you wanted to drop another one here, I could take that. <laughs> just she like, could take that. Um, something. I don't know. I'd, I'd try it. Do something shitty to me and see what happens. <laughs> Mind you that you. Thai guy is the real villain here. Yeah. Yeah, Thai guy is the real villain. Okay, we got to get these two out of okay, here in like okay. five minutes. So the we have to do a little rapid fire. Is what is the best thing that you read this year so far? I'm going to start with you, Courtney. Um, I am, I am, well, it's been, a, it's, it's, we're not that far into the year, but I would That's say why it's an easy the last, question. Right, it's an easy question. 12 months. So that means that I have to have read something. Um, I have been reading Claire Dieter's Monsters. And it is exceptional. It is amazing. But it's essentially about our ability and inability to separate the artist from the art when they are a monster. So she talks Ugh. about Woody Allen. She R. talks Kelly. about Roman Picasso. The chapter that she's on right now, which is really fascinating, is, is pretty much the only chapter about women. And virtually all of them abandon their children. And that's why they're monsters. So... But have you met children? No, just kidding. Um, Jason, what's the best thing you've read this year so far? Um, I actually have read a book this year. I read um, Sam Wasson's Pathway to Paradise um, about Francis Ford Coppola founding Zoetrope in the late 60s, early and through the 70s. Yeah, it's... I bet it's interesting. Yeah. They could have called it Hubris, and that would have been a good title as well. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really, it was really something. It's okay. really something. Hubris can really get you places. It can, it can. And last cue, do you want to hit it, Eden? You do it. Uh, what's a piece of writing advice that you got at some stage in your life that had an impact on you or had the biggest impact on you? <gasps> see, I can see both thinking. I have a quote from Flannery O'Connor. We'll allow it. Uh, but it's not really <laughs> writing advice, but Flannery O'Connor said, I write because I don't know what I think until I read what I say. And I think that for me, I will think about a story in my life and I will write about it. It crystallizes somehow what I feel about it. And I didn't even know that. So just how I think people need to just just start writing. Like if you if you have something like, you know, I talk to my students because sometimes they don't know where to start. And it's like. Elizabeth Sist, who wrote um, Hysterical, and which is an amazing book, and she's a wonderful teacher. In her class, she talks about looking at your life like it's a movie. And so thinking of those scenes, what are those scenes in your life that will never go away? And so just write down what are, what are all those scenes, pick one of them, and start writing through it. 
and you you will discover how you feel about it. You will discover what that what that scene means in your life. And I mean, the best thing about memoir, right, is that what it means in everyone's life, that it somehow illustrates a universal truth. So I love that. Good job, Flannery. Right. Good what about job, yourself, Flannery. Jason. Mine's not from Flannery O'Connor. I mean, one is um, whenever I read anything, I take my favorite thing in it and I take it out first thing. So I'm a little more objective because I used to not be at all. So if it was a joke or something, I usually am trying to bend everything around that. And usually if I take that out, if it works, I, I leave it as it is. And sometimes I can go back in, but I usually take out whatever I think is my favorite thing. It's hardly ever the funniest or best thing in it. And then... Um, you kill your darling straight away. The, whatever my favorite... The, 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 if it's a joke that I really like or a thing, I try to take that out and see if it works without it. Sometimes it has to go back in. Did you hear? Did you hear her sigh? Eden sigh. Like, I have that same. That I was like, what are you talking about? I could yeah. never do that. Um, because I, I find that um, I in the past, in the past, I've not been objective about yeah. the thing because I'm like, well, because it's all in my brain, tailing around to this one thing that I wrote that I yeah. think was so good. So if I just immediately take it out and see if it works without it, sometimes it collapses, and I'm like, well, then I'm probably, you know. Um, but I do that, and also like I remember once we were doing a sketch and. You would get a laugh in the room, and I took out this line, and Courtney's like, why'd you do that? I got a laugh. She was like, we should leave it. And so, like, if it gets a laugh, you don't touch it. Oh, for sure. Because I did that once, and she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I think we could be. She's like, it got a laugh. It stays. We know that works. We don't have to worry about it. Right. That's good advice. Great advice from Courtney specifically. (laughs) Courtney and Flannery. Also a very important reason that if you're writing humor, get a writer's group, because you absolutely, having people around the room responding to your work is hugely important. That's true. Great advice. We've solved it all. Thank you both so much for sharing all of that and sharing these really personal stories. We loved having you in here. Let's talk for two more hours. We can't do it because they have to go. But I have to say, for our first foursome, I feel very successful. I thought I would be in the corner weird, not knowing what to do. But Mm -hmm. turns out you just jump in. You did really great. You just jump in. A lot of eye contact, Eden. A lot of eye contact (laughs) from Eden, which is fine. She has very big eyes. It's kind of hard to Yeah, Yeah. quit mocking my eyes. No, I love it. Aren't you supposed to be a saint? Wow. Well, thank you again to Jason and Courtney for joining us and for sharing so much in such a vulnerable way. What an incredible privilege I I felt. We will link to more information about them in our show notes. And that is it from We Can't Print This debut season three for today. Please do sign up for our newsletter at wecanprintthis.com where you'll get culture pics and lots of other fun delivered to your inbox every month. Thank you to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, and to Dave Depper for our intro music. This podcast was recorded at the Writer's Block in downtown Portland, Oregon. And a big thank you to our third office mate, Rachel Ritchie, for the way she goes, oh boy, every (laughs) single time I hiccup, which for the record, um, I have had a case of hiccups for like going on nine years. I just hiccup. This is true. Multiple times a day, every day. And every time she goes, oh boy. They're very dramatic hiccups. But Rachel, yeah. Oh boy, it's a classic Rachel phrase. So, and also if you are a writer with a great behind the story story, please do write to us at wecanprintthis at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you and we'd love to have you on. Kisses. Kisses.